Okay, so today we are going to be hearing from Holly, um, and she is her. She just got a new title um, this morning, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but she is the parenting pastor now, um, and pastor because she is now ordained. Yes, yeah. I went through You're the ordained. licensure and ordination process at New Life, so that's new. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to you. That's, Thank you. that's amazing. I, it sounds like a very strenuous process. Um, and so Holly has four kids um, and she homeschools them. And today she's going to share with us about the story formed home. And, um, and it's just a topic that I feel like I've learned so much from Holly about. And um, she has a lot of wisdom to offer us. Uh, and Holly and Glenn started New Life Downtown seven mm-hmm. and a half years ago. Yeah. So um, she's been, of course, a humongous part of starting the church that we all love and most of us go to. Um, and um, I'm just going to start out with praying for us and then we'll hear from you. Dear Lord, thank you for each woman here. Thank you uh, that we can gather together and uh, learn and grow and dive deeper. Um, Thank you that you uh, love us so much that we don't have to be who we were and that you are transforming us. And um, I pray, Lord, that this group will be part of that this year, Um, part of our transformation, part of our growth with you and our journey with you, Lord. And um, I pray that the moms here will find um, rest when they're weary and fellowship with one another and encouragement through you, Lord. Um, I pray that we will leave here um, with more wisdom and more joy and um, filled up so that we can go serve our families and uh, serve you, Lord. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, it's truly such a joy for me to be with all of you again this year, and I just want to welcome every new person that's here, whether you're from New Life Downtown or Friday Night or New Life North or another church in the community. Um, we just are so excited to, to gather all of us together. Oh, it's working. Yay, we didn't think we were going to have keynote. So there it is. Um, well, as Sarah mentioned, I have four kids. Um, Sophia is my oldest, and she's 14. This is Nora, who is... 12 now, that was a few years ago or more, um, reading to our youngest, Jane. Um, so Nora's 12 now, Jonas is 9, and Jane is 7. So it's, I feel like I'm in a really fun stage of parenting right now. Some people call it the golden years, so I'm trying to kind of soak it up, but it's a phase where we can all do stuff together. Nobody's napping anymore. We can all do things, and I have a, a few years before my oldest goes to college, which is absolutely crazy to think about to me. It's gone so fast, as everybody says. But but I still feel like I'm not so far away from the baby years that I don't remember. I remember, for those of you who are there, I remember what it's like to have sleepless nights and to be um, just feeling weary, like you're in survival mode. Um, but I want to encourage you, for those of you who are still there, that one day, you, you will feel better if you feel horrible right now, <laughs> and you will get more sleep, and not that things become easy. There's always going to be challenges in parenting, no matter what phase you're in, but, but you will feel, I think, your head rise above the water if you're feeling like you're drowning right now. Um, well, I want to, I'm excited today to d- dive into this topic. It's called Cultivating a Story-Formed Home. And part of my heart uh, in this is that a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to be a part of a ministry called Story-Formed. And um, I ran a website and a podcast with a co-host. And really the vision for this ministry was that we really wanted to get great books into the hands of kids and families everywhere. Um, we wanted to instill, ima- encourage parents to instill imagination in their kids and also to encourage parents and their kids to really believe that they have a story worth telling. So it was a great ministry that I was able to be a part of. Um, I honestly felt like I was had my hands in so many pots. I was trying to do way too many things and ended up feeling like I've got to to lay something aside for this season. And so I loved everything I was doing, but I felt like I've I need to lay this down. But giving you that history because I'm so passionate um, about that topic and it's just been something that's kind of been on our family's hearts for a lot of years. 
Um, so my hope today in talking about this is that wherever you're at on this journey of really incorporating story into your family's home, that you will feel encouraged and inspired that wherever you are at, wherever the Lord has you is okay, um, that you won't feel shame or guilt if you feel like, oh, there's all these great ideas that Holly's talking about and, and I'm not doing that. But I would just encourage you wherever you're at to take, to take the next step to anything I'm saying that you're like, I can take that one little bit of that and um, pray that the Lord will show me how to incorporate that in my family. So that's my heart today. In the great green room, there was a telephone and a red balloon and a picture of the cow jumping over the moon. And there were three little bears sitting on chairs. Anybody know this book? I'm sure most of you do. It's from, it's the, how this board book by Margaret Wise Brown called Goodnight Moon Goes. And I'm going to guess a lot of you in here probably read that book over and over again. We are on our second or third copy of it. I still have a bunch of my board books and they've just kind of gotten demolished and eaten and they look terrible. But I, I was like, my most recent copy isn't too bad because no one's reading it as much anymore. Just, just me. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> um, but um, that's been one of our, our favorite board books that has just been passed around and um, Another book that has really stuck with us, here's the beginning of it. It goes, my mama had a dancing heart and she shared that heart with me. With a grin and a giggle, a hug and a whistle, we'd slap our knees and mama would say, bless the world. It feels like a tip tapping, song singing, finger snapping kind of day. Let's celebrate. And so we did. And this is, this is a story um, by, called My Mama Had a Dancing Heart by Libamore Gray. And we have three girls, so you can imagine we read that one over and over again. And um, my youngest, we read it so many times that she started memorizing it. I have, I have this cute little video of her that I had my older daughter prompting her when she forgot the words, but that was super, super sweet. Well, lest you think this was always how my, my life was, it was not. Um, if I can take you back a little bit to when I first had my first baby um, 14 years ago, I just remember having her and thinking, you know what, reading sounds kind of good. Maybe I should read to her. I don't really know a lot of the reasons why, but probably as a good mom, this is something I should do. Um, I really didn't know, yeah, a lot of the reasons why. I certainly didn't know what to read. Um, but I happened to be in a Borders bookstore, which we no longer have in Colorado Springs, but I have this vivid memory of walking through Borders with a stroller with my oldest, who was probably about a year, and just kind of perusing the children's book section. And um, there was this woman standing next to me with two little kids, and I just kind of shyly looked over her and was like, um, would you have any, any suggestions for children's books? And she's like, oh, I absolutely would. She just like really was interested in it and went off and told me, you know, a bunch of things she would recommend and why and who I should look into and who I should follow. And I, I look back and I think, what a random kind of weird, almost a divine appointment moment where she just sort of brought me a step further on this journey when I was really feeling lost and not knowing what to do. But if I can take you back even a bit further to my childhood, um, I remember, I think how reading really was implanted in my heart the most was through my dad. And my dad's a hardworking farmer from Iowa. He spent most of his days with cattle in fields, um, doing fence, uh, you know, being in the crops, that kind of thing. But every night, I remember him coming in and sitting in this big green lazy boy chair in our living room and reading. And he never talked, he never said anything to me about it. He never told me what he was reading. He never said, this is why reading is so amazing, like I do with my children. <laughs> Who knows what they're going to walk away thinking. But, um, but that was an incredible, like I just have that vivid memory implanted in my heart of that vision of him doing that day after day. And I really think that image stayed with me for many, many years. And I was, I read as an elementary student, middle school student, but it wasn't, um, I just kind of, I didn't really know what to read. I just would go to the library and grab random things. Um, any babysitters club readers in here? Sweet Valley High? That, that was kind of <laughs> my choices in uh, growing up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, so it's not bad, but it's just like, yeah, it was, it was good. You know, it was fine, but I, I really didn't, wasn't reading anything intentionally or on purpose. But I am grateful that I read and that that was instilled in me. Um... So I just here again want to say wherever you're at, if you've had that experience, you've had very different experiences, I think the Lord will meet you um, 
on this journey and it's never too late. And I, I feel like I really started at the very beginning and really the Lord has just encouraged me along the way. So hopefully you'll be encouraged today. So let's talk about why we read to our kids. Um, I think any, the first thing I think would be connection and relationship. And I think if you talk to probably most any good intentional parent in America, regardless of their faith background, they would say, yeah, I think a reading is a great way for me to connect with my kids, to have a meaningful relationship with them. We sit down, we can um, listen to the same story together. We can have good conversation out of that. And I think that's great. But if we also add to that, why as a Christian, if we put think through our Christian lens, Christianly, if we can say it that way. Um, why does it really matter? And I think one of the reasons it matters is this passage that I come back to for all things discipleship. But it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I think the idea here is the core part of it that comes to me is impressing the ways of the Lord on our children. And how do we do that? I think kind of has, when we think about walking along the way of Christ, there's two things we can think about. One is along the way, meaning just our normal life, right? We want to um, bring God into our everyday lives along the, whatever path you're walking on, uh, whatever the trajectory is of your life, that we don't want to separate God over here, like these are just spiritual things, but we want to really believe God, God, the Holy Spirit lives in me. God is everywhere. How can we talk about God and bring, make that just such a normal part of our conversation and daily life? And then also when we think about along the way, we think just in the way of Christ, how do we love God well and love our neighbors well? I think that's really the core, such a core part of our Christian faith. And there are many stories in the New Testament that tell us about how Jesus, how did, how did Jesus, um, how was he with his people? How did he talk about God. Um, how did he do this along the way? Well, there's so many passages in the New Testament where he talks about um, eating with them, praying with them, resting with them, going away, um, ministering together. And he also told them stories, right? We, we don't really say it that way. They didn't talk about it that way in the Bible, but they would have said a parable. They, he told them parables. So if someone asked him, Jesus, what, what should I do? Or how should I think about this? Often he, sometimes he would give a direct answer, but often he would say, let me tell you a story. And I think this is because God really wants us to he wants us to think on our own. He gave us these brains and these hearts and these bodies, and he wants us to be a whole person and process and make decisions. He doesn't, there's so much in the Bible that's gray, right? We don't have a list of everything we should do, but he gives us these general ideas, and he wants us to process and think about how, what to do and how to decide, how to be, how to be loving, how to be kind. What does that look like? And so I think story, stories, especially the Bible, but lots of other books included, are such a great way to disciple our kids. So beyond that, um, I think secondly, why we read to our kids is there are a lot of positive effects in their lives overall. And there's so much brain science now. I could really geek out on this, but I, I, don't, I won't go too far with it because um, I might bore you with all of that. But um, actually, let me grab this book real quick. I'm going to recommend some books at the end that if you're looking for book story um, recommendations on stories. But I just, am, I'm almost done with it. I'm not quite finished, but I've recently been reading this book called The Enchanted Hour. And, it's, and the subtitle is The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction by Megan Cox Gordon. And she um, is the Wall Street Journal's children's book reviewer. She's been doing that since 2005. So if, you, if this topic is something that really sparks interest or joy for you, um, I would highly recommend this. There's so much, so many stories, so many credible um, just all this research in there. If you're like, oh, I'm so interested in this. I think you would really love this. And I started listening to it on audio, and then I'm like, oh, I have to underline stuff. I, I have to get the book, too. So now I have both. But um, I 
just want to read you a little bit of the, of the research from this book about um, reading with your kids. And I should say, too, that I'm really going to focus on reading aloud and reading together, um, parent to child or as a family. I think reading, kids reading on their own is wonderful, but because we're kind of talking about the discipleship angle of it and the connection with your kids, we're going to focus on doing it together today. So Megan says, the rewards of early reading are astonishingly meaningful. Toddlers who have lots of stories read to them turn into children who are more likely to enjoy strong relationships, sharper focus, and greater emotional resilience and self-mastery. I'm like, well, okay, I'm convinced. (laughs) 10 minutes a day, we can do it, right? Um, A couple other things she says. Um, One is, listening to stories while looking at pictures stimulates children's deep brain networks, fostering their optimal cognitive development. And this study in particular I'm going to reference has to do with younger kids. But for all those, for those of you who are like, I'm, I have older kids, I may or may, have not, may or may have not felt like I did this well. There's so many opportunities with older kids to read books you know, aloud with them. I, I encourage it as long as you can go all the way through high school if, if you feel like that's something your, your kids will come on board with you with. But there's always this opportunity to hear, you know, Um, stories that are above them or complex things or things that you want to discuss with them. So I think there's benefits even through adulthood forever, but we're going to kind of talk specifically about younger kids just just in this particular study. Um, So this study is done by Dr. John Hutton from Cincinnati Children's Hospital, and he conducted this study in 2015 with a team of researchers. And what they were wanting to do was to... um, They were trying to see if reading at home, reading aloud, makes any sort of quantifiable difference in the brain function and brain development of children. So they brought in a group of kids who were ages three to five, and they hooked them up to this brain scanner, and they said, okay, we're going to test three different things and see what their brain activity is like. So... Um, the first test they did was to play an audiobook. So just like we might do, we might get an audiobook from the library, play it in the car, or I don't know if any of you have discovered those little playaways from the library district. If you haven't, you should. You should go in and, and add. There are these little boxes with a little battery. The book is in the, the book's in the box, and they can wear it around their neck and walk around and listen to something. But I think they're really cool. My kids have really have really enjoyed them. So just like that, the kids are listening to an audiobook. Um, the, second, the second test they ran was a person sitting with a child um, and uh, re- having a picture book. So they had the picture book up. They're showing them the pictures like this. And then the third study was them watching a video. So we're going to go back to the first one. I'll tell you the results. You're like, what is it? Okay. So study, this first study with the audiobook showed that there was actually a pretty good amount of brain activity. And I'm not sciencey enough to be able to say what all those parts of the brain are. If you want to read about it in here, you can, you can, he explains all the different parts of the brain, all the wiring, all the colors that the test showed. But there were, it, on the base level, there was a lot of brain activity going on when a child was listening to an audiobook, like a higher level activity in the brain. And then the second study um, with the picture book, so a person sitting there, reading the book, looking at the pictures, that, that going together with the human presence and the voice was just crazy brain activity, all these connections and neurons and synapses going together. And then the video, as you might imagine, was not a lot. It's more of a passive thing. Um, it was more, I, I, they had a certain terminology for it, but just more of a passive, like there's, there's something going on, but not much. There's just isn't anything required when we watch to really stir that higher level brain activity. So, and when I say all that, I want you to know I do all these things. We watch TV. This is not about saying... You should spend, you know, 10 hours a day reading aloud to your child. You should never turn on the TV. That I, I don't do that. Um, we watch TV too. But we've just really tried to incorporate this element into our life and have it be consistent. And I think it's, um, it's, it's such, because of our culture, because there's technology everywhere, and I'm like you, that it's so, you know, there's, I, there's so much on our phones that we just do now, right? There's recipes, there's texts, there's, you know, all this stuff that it just is a part of our life. But I almost feel like reading aloud with our kids is this countercultural act that sort of comes in and can be this quiet, sweet um, presence in the midst of all the craziness. So um, if, to help you kind of remember this study, if you want to remember it, um, uh, the terminology that they gave this phenomenon of their research discovery is called the Goldilocks effect. So what they said in conclusion about this, um, the, 
what they found out from this study is that we can kind of look at the different groups of people like bowls of porridge. So the audio is good, but it's a little too cold. The animation is a little too hot and reading aloud is just right. So I thought that was kind of helpful to, to try to remember it. Well, if you're not convinced yet, you might say, oh, Holly, that sounds really nice, but um, does it really matter? I mean, you know, there's all kinds of things that contribute to my child's growth and to their development and formation. But I just want to read you just a few more things on the research side of it that I just felt were so compelling um, as we kind of decipher how much a part of our family's life to make this. Um, in the first 12 months of your baby's life, your baby's brain doubles in size. So they're just you know, taking in everything around them, which I guess is encouraging and discouraging at times, right? <laughs> oh. And then by two, the synapses are forming for language and many higher cognitive functions. By a child's third birthday, the brain has completed 85% of growth. By the end of five years, a child has passed through the most rapid stages of development for language, emotional control, vision, hearing, and responses. So this could be really encouraging or it could be kind of frustrating or sad, but I, I also want to say that um, regardless of how that, that sits with you, that I've read so much about the brain that our, I know that our brains keep growing forever, that if we keep putting ourselves in situations, no matter how old we are, that we have the potential for our brain, brains to grow and for connections to be made. So be encouraged by that wherever you are, wherever your kids are at with that. And then one more piece of research that I found to be interesting was in 2014, the American Academy of Pediatrics advised doctors to recommend reading aloud. Reading regularly with children stimulates optimal patterns of brain development and strengthens parent-child relationships at a critical time in child development, which in turn builds language, literacy, and social emotional skills that last a lifetime. And I remember actually going into my pediatrician's office at some point, it, like she didn't always do this, but I don't remember if it was this year or not, when she started saying to me, okay, so are you reading aloud with your kids? Is this a part of your life? And I was like, oh, my medical doctor is talking to me about this. Um, but I just, I thought, I was so encouraged by that, that not only, you know, we, you guys might hear about this or think about this on your own or in educational settings, but now my medical doctor is also encouraging me in this. So I, I was really, I was excited about that. Okay, so one, another um, reason why we read is just an opportunity to develop a secure parent-child relationship. I think that um, there's a lot of research to show, too, that imagination, that these parts of the brain where they kind of detect imagination, that when we're reading with them, that we give them this opportunity to imagine these characters, to imagine these worlds. And I think movies are fun, too, but it, we've really tried to have our kids read the books first if we can, although it's really hard nowadays. I think it's, you know, you might be like, oh, my child went to my friend's house. And, oh, it's already over. They already saw the movie, but I'm still trying to hold on to them reading something first before they watch it. So they have the first opportunity to, to think of, to imagine themselves, who these characters are, how this scene looks, how this is going to play out. I think that um, in this, trying to develop this relationship with our kids that it's just an opportunity to bring such great joy for connecting with our kids, just to hear their little, you know, insights or funny reactions or stories, um, especially in this age, like I said, where we can so easily isolate with our devices, but it's a time where we can come together, whether that's you individually with your kids. I mean, it's, it's easier, I guess, if you can kind of hit everybody at night or something, but sometimes that just doesn't work, or sometimes you're like, I really need to sit with this child and, and do it separately, but it's, it's an opportunity to bond. I think whether that's those of you who have infants, I encourage read, I'm reading, I mean, babies in the womb, holding them, you know, rocking them, that they're still hearing their, your voice, that soothing voice and that comfort, even if it's like, blah, 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 whatever, you know, maybe they don't, they're not going to remember that, but I think in their brain, they are intuiting that, that connection. You're already developing that secure connection with them when you start really young. Um, Clinical psychologist Hilary Cash says, this is what she says about reading aloud. She said, it's a whole bouquet of neurochemicals going off when you read. And Susan Pinker, a psychologist and author, says, a tsunami of neurochemical benefits get unleashed when a parent and child cuddle together over a book. Stress and anxiety downshift for starters. As soon as a parent puts his arms around the child, hormones flood their bloodstreams, relaxing them and engendering mutual trust. And what I also find so exciting is, you know, we might feel instinctually or for wherever you got this idea that this would be good to read together, to process things together if you have older kids. But 
to know that God created us in such a way that we have all these positive chemicals going off in our brains when we're doing this together. I think that's just so amazing that research can actually tell us now that is actually what's happening. It's more than just our kind of our gut feeling that this is, this is good or this is probably happening. Um, I also just want to share that, you know, this has, this has been a very consistent part of our family's life since our kids were really little. But I want you to know that there were many a day and many a time when it was not easy, when I was, you know, determined to make this a part of our family culture in our life when I had kids. I just distinctly remember the scene when Glenn and I were in our room trying to read to our two younger ones. This was probably like three or four years ago. And, you know, one of them's like rolling off the bed like this. The other one's like doing somersaults and getting up and running. And that's just one example of so many times when in my mind I'm thinking, is this even worth it? This is, why am I doing this? Why am I stressing myself out over this? Like we could just do something more fun. And are they even, are they hearing this? Are they, are they listening? Are they hearing? Are they retaining anything? And I want to say, yes, I really think they are. Even when we don't see it, that like all the brain research says, I really think they're taking it in. And it might be six months later that you all of a, they say, oh, mom, I remember when you said this in this story and I'm going, oh, you were listening. I had no idea. Um, but just to encourage you that even if it seems like, oh, they're, they're hating me for this or this is not building a, a secure attachment that I really think that your diligence um, to make it part of your family's life will, will pay off and you, you will see the rewards even if it takes many, many years to see them. And that, that is what's been fun about finally getting to the stage of, of older kids. It's just a part of our family's life now and getting to actually just read. I'm, I'm actually trying to keep up with my older girls now and trying through the summer, we were trying to read together. And I, I actually, there's so many, you know, there's so many times you eat your words, right? I remember years ago, I said, I will read, pre-read every book that they read. No, no, that has definitely not happened. I, I could keep up for a while. And then there came the point when I had to trust other people. I had to trust books, which I'm going to talk about some of the people that I've gained ideas from. Um, and sometimes we just like, let's just read this together. I want to um, encourage a discernment process, especially in my older girls. Like when they've been young, I'm like, here you go. This is all that I want you to read. Um, Library times are good, but also kind of hard sometimes when like they only want to read Barbie books or something. You're like, well, okay, but here, here's something that I would love for you to, to dig into. Um, but it's been neat to kind of have be in that stage. And I'm, I still do pre-read stuff that I want them to read that they're not as interested in. And also, I don't know how many times that I've said, here, I want you to read this. And they've said, oh, no, mom, that's going to be boring or I'm not going to like that. Just like they don't know anything about it, right? I mean, over and over they've said that. And I'm like, okay, just trust me. Give this, give this a try. Give this a chance. And a decent amount of the time they come back like, okay, okay, you were right. There was something, there was something good in this that I, I, needed, I needed. I think when we take this opportunity to bond, we also can kind of become almost like a secret society in our family, where when we read books together, whether they're, you know, books for younger kids or older kids, uh, it's like we kind of know the same people, right? There might be, like I think of Lucy Pevensey from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. When I think about her, I think of her boldness and her desires. She would always say, I, I see Aslan there. I see him. I see what he's doing. And she just had this kind of maybe personality driven and maybe because she was the youngest, there might be lots of reasons, but she had this trust that she could see and she could know and she would trust Aslan, who's kind of the God figure in this, in the story, um, when everybody else doubted her. And so, you know, we'll be talking in reference something about Lucy. Um, there's also a picture book that comes to mind called a baby sister for Francis. Have any of you guys read that? We have a lot, a lot of the Francis, but there's, there's a bunch of different Francis books. Um, but when Francis has, uh, her sister comes home, her mom and dad are really busy with the new baby, as I know many of you are in this stage and uh, kind of figuring that out with your younger kids. But she came down one day and she said, things are not very good around here anymore because she didn't have her right dress. She didn't have her right breakfast. Her mom was you know, paying attention to the baby. And so the mom said something back like, no raisins for the oatmeal. So sometimes my kids will come downstairs and be like, things aren't very good around here anymore. Or, <laughs> So 
it's just, it's kind of a fun part of reading aloud that there'll just be these little, there'll be characters or situations or people where you just sort of know this language and, and nobody else, you know, might get it around you, but it's, it's kind of a fun way to connect with each other. I want to share one more story from this book. Um, and I hope I'm not going to cry because I've read it twice and I've shared it with a couple of people in my family and I've like cried every time I've read it. Um, so let's see if I can get through this. But, um, the story is about a, um, I'm already like getting emotional. I haven't even started. Um, <laughs> so the story is about a boy who his name is Gabe. And when he was 17 months old, his parents found out that he had um, severe autism. And so he couldn't speak to them. They really never knew uh, what his emotions were, what he thought about anything. Um, they tried to read to him when he was really little, but he just didn't seem interested. He wouldn't sit still. He wouldn't respond to them. And they just felt discouraged by that as a lot of parents would and just said, okay, I think this isn't, reading's not going to connect with him. So we're just going to put this on the shelf for a while. He was really drawn to uh, TV shows like Sesame Street and, you know, just younger kids shows. And he, he was, you know, obviously in that stage where that might seem normal for a while. But as he got older, even he just, what he really wanted to do or what he was drawn to was watching little kids shows. And so his parents just kind of went with that and wanted to make things as peace, you know, get everybody to get along and make things as easy as possible, right? Um, let me find this here. But they, um, they took him to see a therapist when he was in kind of middle adolescence. And the first thing the, one of the therapists said to them, to the parents was, I really encourage you to read aloud to your son that I think that, you know, we don't for sure know, we can't detect fully his brain activity, but I think this would give him an opportunity to um, gain new language, to grow, to, you know, let's just see what happens with this. And so sometime after that, um, through this therapist, the parents were exposed to something called the rapid prompting method. And it was a device that was, I don't exactly know how it works, but it was a way that um, his therapist could help him communicate through typing. And this was the first time that the parents ever knew like what he was thinking or what he was feeling. And so I just want to read you a few things that in this conversation that, so Gabe had with Megan, the author of this book about his life. So, oh, and I should also say, so they started reading a few things to him, like um, Harry Potter, um, The Giver, the absolutely true diary of a part-time Indian. So here's a bit of their conversation. So using the keyboard, Najla, who's the therapist, um, started speaking his words at a pace that he typed. And Gabe explained, I am addicted to screens, but there's nothing I'd love more than to have someone read to me all day long instead. I wish I could read on my own, but my body doesn't cooperate. And this is Megan talking now. I asked Gabe how... I asked how Gabe felt on the inside when his mother read to him. It takes me to another place in which I'm completely normal. Gabe was still typing. Of course, I love being close to her. I experience the world through movies and books, to quote a friend. And Najla was explaining that one of Gabe's friends, who's also autistic, had used this similar phrase. And at the very end of the interview, Megan said to Gabe, do you have anything to say to parents or families with kids who don't seem to be paying attention? I asked him, should they keep reading to them anyway? Gabe typed, a million times yes. We are always listening. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> I was like, wow. Just to think about this boy who could not talk, who is just to, to think about not being able to um, know what your child's feeling and thinking and to think how the power of story really affected his life so much. So a million times yes. We should, we should keep on. So, okay. Oh my goodness, I shouldn't have shared that story. Okay. Okay, so just a few more things about the power of story. Um, story has the ability to form your child. I think their future trajectory, how they're going to see themselves. They have this opportunity to um, see a character like a Lucy or like an Anne of Green Gables and to say, oh, maybe they see themselves in this person and that validates who they are, their personality, their strengths, even their weaknesses sometimes. Or maybe they see this character and go, oh, I, this character is so bold and courageous, 
but I'm not, I don't know if I can be like that, but them reading about this story and following someone's journey can inspire them to think, I, I want to be like that. And it can be a great way for you to kind of process how they feel about themselves, where they want to go, what, what does God see in this child's life? And as a parent, we, when we're reading with them, we have the opportunity to, to validate that and say, yes, I see that in you. you. You are courageous. You are brave. Look at what you're doing. Or even if, if you feel like maybe they're really struggling to really call them to that, to what you see that they can be and who God's called them to be. The story also has the ability to be a gateway for your child to gain empathy. Um, I'm thinking, and there's so much research about this as well, but I'm thinking about the book Wonder. Have any of you read that with your kids or seen the movie? Probably a lot of us have. Um, We read the book and then we saw the movie. And this is a story about a boy named Augie who was born with um, some physical deformities um, in his face. And um, he... The book kind of goes through the process of him going to school and meeting other kids and just dealing with a lot of things that he hadn't in his previous to that point. And I just think it's a great story to be able to talk through um, if your child has not, you know, had something like that for them to be able to put themselves in that story, in that situation to think, what would it be like if I was, you know, walking through the halls and felt like I don't look like everyone else or life isn't like the way it is for you as it is for me. And so anyway, it's, just, it's a great middle grade novel. Very, It's modern. Um, and as an aside, I think, you know, modern literature is great. Classical literature is great. We can, I think we can really find good writers, good stories in both. But that's, that's a good one that I think most kids would enjoy. Um, I think story also has the ability to shape the imagination of your children, which is, is truly a gift to them to be able to see the mystery of our world. And... I'm really an advocate of kids reading fantasy and reading fairy tales and reading um, magical things because I think that it has a way of fostering this imagination that we need to really believe the big God story, right? I mean, if you think about our the story of our heritage, of our faith, that Jesus was born of a virgin and he lived and he died and he rose again and now he's seated with the Lord and it seems pretty crazy, right? So don't we have to have a little bit of an imagination to to really believe that and continue to have faith in that? I think that's what those kinds of stories can do, that, that it stretches our kids' imagination to believe that something's possible outside of what they see on an everyday basis. Story also has the ability to help our children overcome in the midst of hardship. Um, and this, this is similar to kind of the empathy thing, but we can, you know, maybe, maybe they're really struggling in a place now and they might read about a character who's also struggling, even though it's different, maybe their life isn't the same, but if they can see a character working through something, not being perfect, and, and the Bible's obviously a huge um, place where they can see this, right? That God uses all these very imperfect people. There really aren't a lot of heroes in the Bible. We can't look and go, oh, look at David. Look, he did everything right. And that's why the Lord loved him. And that's why he became king and had all these opportunities. But no, God used very imperfect people in the Bible. And so I think through those stories, through other stories, our kids have the chance to see Look how these people can be used. Look how what they can do in the world with, with their imperfections and um, you know, not being able to live a perfect life. Story also has the ability to help our children process complex or troubling issues. And maybe it's maybe it's we've got lots of those happening in our world today, right? A lot of crazy, horrible things happen in our country all the time, in the world. Um, but also when we look back at our history as a, as a country and the world, there's all kinds of troubling things, right, that, that we want to be there with our kids to help them process. Um, I'm just currently, I, I have in my, I have like a kind of a role of reading that I do where I'll read like a nonfiction, then I'll read something um, like researchy, then I'll read something theological, and then part of my um, deck that I go through is like a middle grade novel. So I just, I just still love middle grade novels. I think I, I always will. So it's a fun thing that I just love to do and to do with my kids. But I'm reading um, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, which is an old book written by Mildred Taylor, I think in the 60s, but it addresses post-slavery times. And um, it's a family who is living on land that they were able to purchase from previous slave owners, but it's many years after there was no not slavery in our country anymore, but still so much hardship, still so much prejudice and just really, really difficult things that affected them. And so this would be a perfect book, I think, you know, if you're wanting to 
connect even to what are, how are, how do we still see prejudice in America now? And um, what was it really like for that? What, what is the history of this, of this issue in these people um, in, our, in our country? Okay, so we talked about the power of great story, but how, so if I'm convinced about that, how do I pick a good book? You go to the library, there's stuff everywhere, your kids are pulling stuff off the shelves, um, you know, you're, there's just so much out there, right? And with, I think with, with technology and media, there's just, it's just really difficult to figure out what should we give our time to. So I just want to talk about a few things if you're trying to figure out, okay, someone gave me this or my child's bringing me this, um, but how do I even know? What are some things I should look for in choosing a good story? I think the first thing is, what is something that's going to captivate your children? Um, that's, you know, there, there might be some things that captivate them that aren't very good, but, but there are, I think that's, that is kind of an essential thing for them to really be invested. And I think there is enough good stuff out there that has a good plot and a good narrative and good language and complex characters, all of those things that's still interesting and fun. Um, we were, I do a, a morning time read aloud um, on some days of the week with my younger two. And um, I was, it has not always been this way, but recently my youngest with the Jesus Storybook Bible even, she's like, mom, okay, read the next one. And there was, she's never, I've been reading this to her for like three years. And so just now she's like, this is so interesting. So, you know, you never know. I'm like, well, we're just going to keep reading the Bible. I'm glad that you think it's interesting at this phase. <laughs> she may not always, but she's interested right now. And then we're also reading a kind of a modern read aloud. It's a series called the Mysterious Benedict Society. And I don't know if any of you have heard of that, but it's, um, I'm super interested in it myself. I'm, and so anyway, we got, we'll read like one chapter. We'll read some of the Bible. We'll read one chapter of this book. And lately Jane's been like, mom, read another chapter. Like it's always a cliffhanger. We have to know what's going to happen. Um, and we, you know, you have to come to a stopping point, but I love hearing that. And that's so key. And it's, it's not, I don't feel like it always has to be that way. They're, they may not always say that. And you might have a book that you're like, this is really important. We need to stick through it, but it is, it is helpful if, if you can kind of, you know, at least, especially if you're starting, if you're like, I want this to be a part of our culture, but I haven't done this with my older kids. And so I really need to find something really interesting to hook their attention. You might start off with books that are more adventurous and maybe even more modern ones before you try to jump to a classic that might take them a while to, to gain interest in. I think a great story also um, is something that I would call living, but I didn't create this term. There's a British educator named Charlotte Mason, and she came up with this term called a living book. And she was a British ed educator and teacher uh, in the 1800s. What she called a living book is something that's typically written by one person in a narrative or conversational style who's immersed herself in the topic. So say you're, you're thinking, oh, I, I really love for us to read about Abraham Lincoln together as a family. Like maybe they're doing that in school, but I think it'd be fun to, and interesting to talk about this together that you could read it out of a textbook and you'd learn something, right? Um, if you read a couple pages, you'd know the basic details of his life and when he was president and his role in abolishing slavery, things like that. Um, but if you read a book written by one author, author who is passionate about Abraham Lincoln and his life and his story, it's probably going to be a lot more interesting, right? And so that's what we're kind of looking for when we say a living book. A great story also includes an intriguing and well-written narrative with dynamic characters who come alive. I've kind of mentioned that. And it also stimulates the imaginations, minds, and hearts of children and adults. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis that probably a lot of you have heard this. But he said, a children's story that can only be enjoyed that can only be enjoyed by children is not a good children's story in the slightest. And I wholeheartedly agree with that, that I, st I still enjoy picture books with my kids. I, st I just think if a story is really well written and captivating, the language, the pictures, that will be just as interested um, to keep reading it. Um, kind of to the point, too, of just addressing that, I know that sometimes this feels daunting to try to incorporate reading aloud and really cultivating the story-formed home with our family can be kind of a daunting idea. And many of us are really exhausted, right? A lot of the time, especially at night when it might seem like the easiest time to do this. Um, but I think if you find a way, and we're going to get to some of the practical in a minute, to make it, even if it's a small part of your life, that your children will eventually help you in this. So I'm to the point now where I'm, I'm kind of losing steam, to be a bit honest. I've been doing this for so many years that it's like, 
oh, there's many nights when I'm like, oh, Jane, I'm so tired. She's like, mom, we read aloud every night. This is what we do. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, yes, that's right. Thank you for reminding me. This is what we do. So if you get it enough in, in your kids, they'll come back to you and remind you of what you really want to do. And if I would encourage you too to not worry if your kids, especially if they're little, they might do this, to bring you the same book over and over and you're like, oh my goodness, like I do not want to read this book one more time. I'm gonna, ah. Um, but there are so many, even though you as an adult, we want something new, right? We want something new is more exciting often, but our kids really crave that stability um, and that yeah, just that idea that they know what's going to happen. And that creates a stability in them. And that's part of the reason why developmentally they keep bringing you those things, same things. They want to hear that same reassuring story. They want to hear that good ending that they know is coming. And so just hang in there that eventually one day they won't bring it to you anymore, that it, it will eventually end. Um, but those will be the stories that they'll remember. Those will be the stories that they'll come back to you and say, Mom, remember how we always used to read this? And you're like, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> so, and if, for those of you who don't want to go to the library or think, I have like 10 books at home and this is what I have and I, my kids just want to read these, that that's great. That, like I said, those will be the stories that they really remember, the ones you've read over and over, the ones you've talked about, the ones that are in you. So, it's great to be able to have a lot of books at home, but if, you know, if you, if you don't, whatever you have is great and your kids will gain so much from that. Okay, so as far as, um, I think I skipped ahead. I did. Yeah, okay, I missed. So that was one of the practical things I wanted to bring up, but just we want to get to the practical of how to cultivate a story-formed home. So um, finding a space to read, like I said, and not worrying if you do things over and over again. But another idea is to create spaces for books in your home. So we just have like three or four practical ideas for kind of how to make this a part of your home or to, to add to what you have. But I think if kids see books, then they might be more apt to pick them up, especially if they're younger. So if you have in your living room or bedrooms or wherever you spend most of your time with your family, or if it's in the car, um, have just a basket or a plastic tub and keep a handful of books there, board books, picture books, um, library books. We've done this kind of on and off, especially in the car. And then when, you know, if you're tired of talking with each other or you know, they can just pick stuff and just look at the pictures even. It'll, it'll just reinforce this idea of, of bringing story into your home continually. Um, you can also cultivate a story-formed home by setting a time to read during the day. And I think this is, this is important for any habit in our life, right? That anything that we really want to do, or at least for me, I should just say for myself that if I don't put something in my schedule, I'm pretty random about how I do it. If I don't make a consistent space to do anything, whether that's you know, spending time with someone or spending time with the Lord or reading the word or getting together with people or group, like if we just say, yeah, let's do it sometime, it might be three or four months till we actually make it happen, right? But if we can figure out a time that works for us, and I know we each have our own family puzzle and situation, and that's going to look completely different for everybody. So just figuring out what that time could be. For us, I think reading at appointments or in carpool lines or at night have been the most successful. I would say overall over the course of years, um, reading at night has been the most successful because Glenn or I are always going to be putting them to bed. And it, it, I am often really tired and sometimes I'm like, mom, your eyes are closing. Like as I'm reading the book, I'm like, yes, okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, but, or when they get old, sometimes we switch read aloud and there have been nights where if it's super late, I'll have, Jane will read to me now. And so, you know, you can get creative with who's doing the reading aloud. Um, but just figuring out a, just a way to make it consistent. And even if you spend 10 minutes a day reading to your child, this amount will total 30 hours in a year. That's a lot of reading, even 10 minutes a day. And of course we could do more than that, but if, it, if that's what we can do right now, then that's still a ton of reading every day. And in addition to reading that to them, we can, if you especially have older kids, you can find a way to kind of incorporate some conversation and processing with your reading if you have time. Um, and there's lots of questions we could ask, but I'll just give you one question that I've asked a lot over and over that even a child as old as probably four could, could think about. And that question is, do you think 
he or she should have done that, the character. Or you could say, if you were that character, what would you have done? So it just really gets them putting themselves in the space of that character or that character's, what they're working through, what they're going through. As we're closing, I just want to point out that um, I have a handout for you that I think if you haven't gotten it, um, you can see Janelle after, but I think that everybody should have the handout. And it's just a list of some of our favorite books that a majority of those on that list that we own. And so um, feel free to ask me any questions about it or if you want to email me about any of this stuff. I, I love talking about it. would love to talk with you or to get together. But these have been some of our, our very favorites. And I think I put some Bibles on there that we have really enjoyed, some of the children's Bibles, um, some board books, um, picture books, chapter books. One area I did not include on there because it's a little bit hard to find, but email me if you want this, is like kind of the pre-readers, the transition from just as they're starting to read into full chapter books. Um, there's just not a lot of great things out there in that category. You're sort of, they're reading and you're like, this is really not a great book, but okay, you've got to learn to read, so we've got to have something. Um, so I've, I have a few series that I thought are pretty, are pretty decent, but they're not like my highly recommended reading list. So, but if you want that and your kids are there, I'd love to, to pass that on to you. And um, I also just, we audiobooks have been a huge part of our reading life as well, just as a way to get more books into your family. You only have so much time and energy. And if you're at the stage where like, literally, Holly, 10 minutes is a lot for me, then put an audiobook on in the car. Put an audiobook in at night. Maybe you're, if you have extended sickness or you have an infant or you're just exhausted or whatever your family dynamics are, maybe you can't even read to them at night, but you could put an audio book on and have listened to the Bible on, on audio. And, you know, I've, I had a friend who did that in a season of life and she said, my kids came back to me and were telling me all these Bible stories they were learning from, from the CD. So it's, it's still, it still is such a great way to, to get story into your family's life and... Well, as we close, I just want to say that um, if you take this one small thing from this talk today, and maybe it's one thing you want to change or one thing you want to add, um, that I just want to um, pray that you could find a way just to start small and not to feel um, like this is daunting in any way. Um, reading some is better than not reading at all, right? Okay, let me, let me pray for you as we close, and then we'll do a little bit of Q&A here. Lord, I thank you for this incredible group of women. I just pray, Lord, that you would bring them peace today, Lord, wherever they're at in their mothering journey, Lord, wherever they're at with their family dynamics and their puzzle and all the things on their mind and in their hearts, Lord. I know that every mom here desires to serve you, desires to follow you. So, Lord, I just pray that you would lead them and guide them, Lord, and uh, have them take what you would from this talk today, Lord. I pray that as we transition into Q&A and our discussions, that we would just sense your presence, Lord, in our lives and in this discussion today, Lord. We thank you so much for this community that you're building. We ask that you would bless it in your name. Amen. Okay, we, I went a little bit over. I'm so sorry. Um, I just got too passionate about this topic. Okay, we have time for just a little, a, a bit of questions. Does anybody have any questions that you want to bring up? And I'm going to bring the mic over so people can hear it. Oh, perfect. How did you teach your children how to read? Or was is there like a program or something that you recommend? Because I know you homeschool. Yeah. Um, but Jane, she's five and she's reading. She's seven. Seven. Oh, seven. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, well, part of it was we sent our kids to a preschool. So that was part. They did um, a program that used phonograms. And so kind of the 70. Um, so, yeah phonetically based program where you start with um, individual um, pronunciation and then they do blending. Um, so that was kind of the method that they started with and I found that to be really effective and so we continued with that. We also used a book called um, The Writing Road to Reading and so they're learning to um, write the sounds as they're hearing them to just reinforce that way. Um, and then we just kind of, as we, they were learning the phonograms, we just started with some really simple readers like um, Bob books. They have packs of just, you know, there might be like three words on a page. They're really silly, um, kind of comic, I don't know, like comic looking sort of like stick figures. Um, but I found that doing, kind of doing the phonogram approach really helped them to, to pick up that, just the really basic readers. 
Um, and then we just sort of kept, I wasn't super organized with my, like it wasn't like, oh, I have this whole progression of these are the books that are going to make it go really easy. We just kind of started getting, when I knew kind of generally where they were, we just started getting readers from the library. So I just kind of started at like a first level and kind of see, um, kind of help them along the way. So that's, I hope that answers some of it. Hi, um, I really appreciated the questions that you offered at the end um, to ask your kids after your reading. Reading for us is part of the battle of bedtime, and so I just wanted to know, like, how important are those comprehension questions? Should we like incorporate another reading time during the day where she might be more interested in telling me what she thinks about the story, as opposed to just fighting going to the crib? Right. Yeah, that's a good question, Olivia. Yeah, especially because your daughter is. Two, that's right. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think at that stage, just, just reading to her and her soaking it up is great. I think as your kids get a little bit older, I'm, I'm honestly not a huge fan of what is known as comprehension questions traditionally. Like, you might find, um, like, a real great classic book that comes with a comprehension guide, and it's like, what color was Johnny's blanket and when they were in the backyard? I mean, that, that's often kind of what comprehension questions are. Um, not, not always, but often that's kind of how we think. So I don't necessarily think it's as important that they remember that detail. What we're trying to kind of get is a little bit of a deeper meaning and it is hard when they're little, but when they were little, what I would do when, whenever she, I don't, if she's not, maybe just in a little while, she might be to the point where you could say, tell me about that story. That was probably one of the first things I said, like, so they're able to tell you what they remembered, that you're not pointing out what they didn't remember, right? Like, if they're like, oh, I don't know what color the sweater was. Like, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, we want to know what did they remember because that's also a way for you to see them and, like, what is sticking out to them at this point of hearing a story? And sometimes, also, when they keep bringing something back, I think it's because there's something in that that maybe they need for their development and age that they just want to keep hearing that. Thanks, Holly. This is all such good stuff. And I've, I've been inspired by just like being friends with you and hearing what you've done with your kids because they're like a little bit older than my kids. And um, so one thing that we've been doing recently is we, in the last six months, I, I downloaded um, the Jesus Storybook Bible on Audible. And then I play it in the car and they I turn them to the right page of theirs and they follow along. And I feel it's like it idea. kind of reinforces like, the mm-hmm. like recogni- word recognition mm-hmm. and also just like it's a chance to read the Bible together on the way to school or whatever. Yeah. Once I was cleaning out the car and it was still going, it was playing while I was, and um, one of my kids was like, mom, God's talking. It was like, <laughs> it was like get in here. That's great. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, Sarah, because is it David Suchet who's the narrator when you do it audible? Yeah, it's, it's not her. I wish it was her voice. But it's not Sally Lloyd-Jones, right? Um, but yeah, if you, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't know if it was this an audible version or you can also buy the CDs, but on Amazon you can buy the, the Jesus Rubik Bible and CDs and it's David Suchet reading it and he has this really deep British voice that's just really great to listen to for all of us. So thanks for suggesting that. Holly, could you talk a little bit about um, your perspective on trying to get your trying to read kid to read versus focusing mm-hmm. on reading to them with the balances there? Yes, that's a good question, Kelly. Um, I think we, I guess my suggestion would be that we, with reading, we don't want them to to start reading and hate it from the beginning of, so, so try, learning to read is very different than being read to, and I would just, I would tend to focus more on the reading to them, um, especially if they're struggling or they're resistant at all in learning to read, that maybe it's you need a month or two or six months to come back and say, okay, we're going to, maybe you're real gentle, and then maybe you give it another push at some point with them learning to read on their own. But just a totally different set of skills of that actual process of reading themselves versus being able to hear a story, especially for kids who maybe generally do, if they have dyslexia or they have something that's really a struggle that... Um, I, my goal is I want them to love reading. I want them, I want them to love the stories and really gain what we want them to gain from that. And so if you're doing a whole lot more reading aloud with them, you know, I think that will be the the biggest benefit. And actually Megan Cox, um, Gordon from this book, The Enchanted Hour, she told a story, um, of, I think her daughter was reading, uh, what's it called? It's a a book by Kate DiCamillo, um, 
I can't think of the title at the moment, but it was a school assignment and a book that a lot of kids actually really enjoy reading. And she, but it was a little bit above her and she was struggling. And so she, the mom just, Megan said, you just need to kind of read this on your own and figure it out. She's like, I wish if I could go back, I would have just said, I'll, I'll just read this to you or I'll read this with you. We'll take turns. Um, because it was, she's like, it was such a great story. And because it was hard and it was a struggle, she totally missed it and, and didn't enjoy it. So... Is that helpful? Yeah. Okay. Oh, hi, Kay. Oh, thank you, Holly. Uh, I don't have a question, but I just wanted to make a comment. Sure. Uh, when I started taking care of my grandson at three months old, and I went to my son's house, my daughter-in-law handed me the book, a book, and she said, this is the book you can read this morning. Three months old. I thought, whoa, cool. <laughs> and so I love what you're saying about the bonding of your children and with my grandson. Yeah. And I uh, just uh, would really just recommend that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, my grandson, when he was in first grade, he was reading at the third grade level. Yeah. It's really pretty cool. And That's he's cool. Uh, very, uh, very good at reading and comprehension and all yeah. of the vocabulary and everything. Now he's 15. Yeah. That's great, Kay. Good job. And yeah, that's a great encouragement to all of us, whether that's our own child or other kids or grandparents with grandchildren, um, babysitters, whoever it is, it's a, it's a great way to connect. Mary? Um, I have a really interesting suggestion. Yeah. Um, I read to my stepdaughter, but she got to the point where she became a very creative writer. Mm. And she got to where she wanted to read her written stories. Yeah. To me and her dad. Yeah, that's a great idea. And consequently, she still is very likes to creative write. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, it can be so many things, right? Our own writing, or newspapers, or magazines, or whatever, whatever it is that can help us connect. So, okay. Well, I want to move on to discussion. Um, all the table leaders have. We have a series of three questions that we're hoping are. Um, simple enough, and that will cover that you can answer for pretty much all of our topics. So those are the questions we'll throw out each time. So we'll take a bit of time to do discussion, and then the second half before we leave, we'll um, have the leaders just ask for prayer requests. If you have a few minutes to pray at the end, um, that'll be great. Thanks. <laughs> 